As Christians, we're called to love, to love one another, to love our neighbors, even to love our enemies. And though that may sound noble, it's often the hardest thing God asks us to do, isn't it? Welcome to Through the Bible. In just a minute, Dr. J. Vernon McGee is going to tell us more about that in today's study of Philippians chapter 1. And he reminds us that in our weakness, God gives us the grace to do what we can't do on our own. I'm Steve Schwetz. Now, before we get started, I want to remind you that Dr. McGee's notes and outlines and other Bible study resources are available to you anytime at ttb.org. Or you can always call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE if we can help. Now, as you find your place on the Bible bus, let's commit this time to God and to his word. Lord, thank you for the promise that you will fill us with your knowledge, wisdom, and spiritual understanding. We need all of it from you today, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Here now is Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of Philippians 1 on Through the Bible. Now, last time I left off at verse 9, and I felt like, though I spoke about it at some length, I did not feel that I exhausted it, may have exhausted the listeners, but not this verse. And I would like to widen it up just a little that you might see how this actually works, because I believe that this epistle is Christian living. Now, Christian living is not way up yonder in the heavenlies, and it's not some pious assumption today, and it's not putting up a front, and it's not trying to act spiritual. It's just living right down here in the midst of the pots and pans and walking the sidewalk. And it has to do with everyday things, and some of them very commonplace, by the way. Now he says, And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And that word judgment is in all discernment, that you might with knowledge and discernment have your love grow. In other words, you just don't love everybody. This thing that the liberals have spread out over the years, it's just a lot of blah. It means nothing to tell the truth. The folk that I have found that are less lovely than any others are liberals. My, they can be mean. I don't know of anyone that can be meaner than a liberal, and that's some fundamentalists, by the way. That can be mean also. But love is something that should be expressed, Paul says here, with knowledge and in discernment. You better be careful who you love. And I saw this bumper sticker the other day. be honest with you, I didn't like it. It says, love your neighbor, but be careful. May I say to you, it was meant the wrong way, I'm sure. But I would say it's good if you'll take it the right way. Be careful. There are some neighbors that will put a knife in your back. And there's some neighbors, oh, they'll be wonderful to you. And I would like for you to note another example of this. And I lift it out of my own personal experience. When I first went to downtown Los Angeles, I learned that every Sharpie took advantage of a new preacher. And therefore, the individual would try, you know, get to him, shall I say. In fact, every kind of a ruse that was imaginable. And I used to warn new members of the staff that that's what would happen to them for the first few weeks until they learned how to deal with folk in a downtown church in a great city filled with all kinds of people. 
Well, this happened to me one Sunday morning. One of the personal workers came to me and said, there's a man that came forward and I've been dealing with him and he wants you to talk to him. He wants you to deal with him. Well, you know, I thought, my, isn't that wonderful? He wants the pastor to talk to him. So I went, sat down by the side of him. He was not dressed too well, but he seemed very interested. And I got my Bible and I gave him the verses that you do for salvation. My, he just, he had to take my Bible and read one or two of them. My, he seemed interested. So when I finished presenting the plan of salvation, I asked him if he had really accepted Christ. And he had. Great crocodile tears came down his eyes. We got down on our knees and prayed. And then we got up, and I made the mistake of asking him a question. I should, from then on, have kept quiet. But I said, by the way, how are you getting along? Well, you know, that could mean most anything. Well, he told me. He said, well... He says, you know, Dr. McGee said, I don't want to, you know, to bother you with my trouble. Oh, and I encouraged him. I said, oh, yes, go ahead. And he said, it's embarrassing for me to tell you this. Well, I was very naive then. I was a babe in the wood. And he said, you know, I have been stopping down here at a certain hotel. I hadn't heard of the hotel before, but found out later it was more or less of a flop house. And he said, they have my suitcase, and I don't have money to pay my bill, and I can't get my suitcase. And I want to be leaving town, and I am so distressed, I can't get a job. Well, you know, I then asked him the question, how much did he owe? He said, seven dollars. Well, now, you've just led a man supposedly to the Lord, and all he needs is $7. So what are you going to do? Well, you're going to give him $7. So I gave him $7, and he thanked me profusely and said he would pay me back, you know, and he left. And I went out feeling good. By that time, everybody had left. My wife was waiting in the car. I got in the car, and she wanted to know what was the delay, and I told her, And I just felt, you know, I felt good. I was just oozing goodness in every direction. I told her what I'd done. I'd given this man $7. Well, she was a little skeptical, but not too much. Thought it was a good thing. And so I suppose it was two or three weeks later, I picked up the morning paper, and in the morning paper was a picture of a man that looked very familiar. I looked at it carefully. And sure enough, it was that man. And the fact of the matter is, it was a good picture of him. And then I read the item underneath. He'd been arrested, by the way. And the thing he'd been arrested on, he was a vagrant. And he had been in Los Angeles for six months, had not worked, but had lived pretty well. And he told in this article, he's interviewed by a reporter, of how he lived. He said, you know, I just go to a church and talk to the pastor and tell them my story, and they always help me. And fact of the matter is, he says, you know, preachers are the biggest saps they are in the world. You know, I guess the fellow was right. He was right in my case. That fellow had my $7. And I called Dr. Bob Schuler, who was then at Trinity Methodist Church, I asked him if he had had him. Oh, yes, said he'd been forward down at his church. I said, did you give him $7? He said, oh, no. 
And he knew me pretty well. He said, Vernon, I've been in downtown Los Angeles a long time. And I know this crowd. He said, you are new. They are working you. He said, you better be careful. So I went back to Philippians 1.9. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all discernment. So from then on, friends, no one ever got to me for $7 to get their suitcase out of the hotel. In fact, I've had them tell some, oh, terrible stories. In fact, at Christmas time, they'd come out for a funeral to bury their dear dead mother. And they'd just spent everything at the funeral, and they couldn't get back home, and they were hungry. And I just looked at them and grinned, you know, and told them, if you're hungry, we'll sure buy you a meal. And they were taken back by that. Many of them found out they weren't hungry all of a sudden. Others, actually, I guess, were. But all they got from me was a meal. Why? Because, my friend, let me say this very carefully today. Oh, we should express love. And certainly believers should love one another. But you better do it with a little knowledge and a great deal of discernment. That's what Paul says. That's what the Word of God says today. Now, don't tell me, as this party has in this letter that they sent to me, that Jesus said that we're to love everybody. Now, he made it very clear in his life that there were some folk that were the children of the devil, and their mother happened to be a snake. And he didn't express much love for them. He died for them, but they would have to take a step of faith toward him. Now, the Bible love does not slop over on every side. I think we need to recognize that in this day when there's so many silly things that are being said today by a lot of sentimental people that talk it, but I don't see them producing it today. Now, there are some people you and I should lavish our love upon. Them. And there's some folk, my friend, that we need to be very careful about. Now, let me move on. Verse 10 says that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Now, here's another important verse that needs some explanation, because actually what Paul means when he says that ye may approve things that are excellent, he says that you need to try the things that differ. And this has to do, I think, with the Lord's will for your life. There are times that you come to a decision, and there probably are two routes that you can go. Which route should you go? Well, very frankly, there are times you won't know. And if you think the Lord's going to put up a green light or have an angel appear to you at night, I think you're wrong. He never did that for anyone, even in the Scripture at all. The thing is that he expects you to use a little consecrated and concentrated gumption. And therefore, we need to try the things that differ. A man was telling me about, I think it was in his own business, that there were two routes open to him. And he said he tried one of them, and it didn't work. Although he said, I prayed about it. And then he says, when I saw that didn't work, I came back to the crossroads and he says, you know, the interesting thing is, I sure knew what the Lord's will was then. The other one didn't work, and there's only one open. And he says, I followed that one, and it was it. 
God says, try the things that differ. And this idea today that the Lord's going to flash a green light for you at every crossroads, I think you will find that a big mistake. Now, we find here that you may be sincere. And that word sincere is a very interesting word. It's sinuseres, a Latin word which means without wax. You see, when the Romans started out, they were a rather brutal people, but a very strong people. And they destroyed a great many of the art treasures of Greece in many places, Asia Minor. You can see examples of that over there today. I was interested in looking at several temples over there. And the Temple of Diana actually was a beautiful thing from an architectural standpoint, but it was apparently right near the headquarters of Satan for that matter. But the art troves of Greece, many of them were broken up. And so when the Romans came to the place in their culture, they appreciated this, they began to gather them up, many of them broken. So if there was a crack in a stature, why a man that was a dishonest art dealer would take wax and fill it in so that you couldn't even tell that it was broken. And he would sell it as a genuine, you know, perfect example. A man would buy it, take it up to his villa in North Italy, and put it out in the garden and walk out the next day, and it's a hot day, and lo and behold, the wax is running down out of a crack in that lovely vase or whatever it was that he bought, some statue probably. Well, then the reputable art dealers began to put on their materials sinuseries without wax. That is genuine, and that there'd be no wax put in it at all, and they guaranteed it like that. Now, Paul is saying that. Don't be a phony. Be genuine. Be real today. And getting back to the last verse, don't go around patting everybody on the back saying, Praise the Lord, hallelujah, and telling them how much you love them when you're going to stick a knife in their back the minute that they leave town. That is the thing that Paul is talking about here. He says that you may be sincere and without offense. Now, a better word is blameless. Now, you cannot be without offense. I do not believe if you preach the Word of God today that you can be without offense. And that's the reason you ought to pray for your preacher if he's a Bible preacher. And you ought to defend him for the very simple reason that if he's giving out the Word of God, he'll do it with offense. Some people will be offended at it. I had the funeral several years ago of a movie star. And, of course, all that crowd came. They didn't appreciate what I said. I can tell you they were antagonistic. I even got telephone calls from some of that crowd. Why? Because my message was offensive. As one TV newsman, though, when he gave the report, he said Hollywood heard something today they'd never heard before. And I understand he was a Christian. Well, may I say to you, pray for your preacher and defend him if he's giving out the Word of God. He'll not do it without offense, but he can be blameless. Blameless, make sure that what they accuse you of, you're not guilty of. When I first became pastor in downtown Los Angeles, I met Dr. Jim McGinley at that time in Chicago. And he said to me, how do you like being pastor in downtown Los Angeles? I said, well, I certainly am enjoying it. It's a marvelous opportunity, and the crowds are coming and all that. 
But I said, I find out I can't defend myself. I hear reports about me that are terrible. And Dr. McGinnis says, that's all right. He says, just make sure that none of them are true. <laughs> be blameless. You can be blameless, but you won't be without offense till the day of Christ. Now, the day of Christ, again, has reference to his coming for his church. We've had that now. This is the second time. That is the rapture of the church. And a child of God should walk in the light of that all the time. Now he says, verse 11, "...being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God." Have the fruits of righteousness, which, of course, are the fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit producing fruit in the life of the believer, which is love, joy, peace, long-serving, etc., and etc. Now, verse 12, "...but he says, I would ye should understand, brethren..." Now, he's being very emphatic with them. I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now, you will recall that when Paul was arrested and the church in Philippi learned it, they sent a message over there of sympathy. And I have a notion that they've said something like this. Oh, poor brother Paul, we feel so sorry for you. Now, your great missionary journeys that you were making throughout the Roman Empire curtailed, and you're in prison, and the gospel's not going out. Paul says, look, I want you to know that the gospel is going out. And the things that have happened to me haven't happened to curtail the gospel, but have actually happened for the furtherance of the gospel. And now he makes it very clear what he means by that. There are here given to us two reasons why that it's happened for the furtherance of the gospel. He says, "...so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace." And that means Caesar's court. Well, quite literally, it means the Roman patricians. These were the ones that guarded the apostle. We're told over in Acts 28, 16, "...when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners..." to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. Now, Paul was chained to a member of the Praetorian Guard. These were the patricians. Actually, they were members of Caesar's household. Now, here is something that's happened. When Paul was converted, the Lord Jesus said he's to appear before kings, the great people of the earth. Well, he hadn't appeared before them up to this time, largely to just the common, ordinary, vegetable variety of citizen in the Roman Empire. Now, of all things, he has members of the royalty chained to him. My friends, can you have a better arrangement than that, to have your congregation chained to you? So that I imagine that on many occasions, a Roman soldier would say to the man who relieved him, said, boy, am I glad to see you. This man's about to make me a Christian. Well, some of them did become Christians. In fact, many of them did. Now Paul says, I'm accomplishing the very thing that Christ said I would accomplish. It's for the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel now is going into the very palace of Caesar. And it hasn't happened to curtail the gospel at all. May God richly bless you, my beloved. What a great perspective. 
Paul's prison letters teach us so much about bringing glory to God even when we're suffering. If you're in a season of suffering, then stay with us. Because in just a moment, we got a message from Dr. McGee. Now, to be in touch, you can call 1-800-65-BIBLE or email us at BibleBus at ttb.org. You'll also find us on Facebook, Twitter, which is now called X, and Instagram. And then here's Dr. McGee to close our time together. Now let's see what God is saying to us through this experience of Paul. We pass over some of these things rather lightly in our day. And we do not see that there's a message there for us. Well, the thing that happened to Paul was tragic. No question about that. To be incarcerated in a Roman prison was a horrifying experience filled with excruciating suffering and pain. It meant beatings. And Paul had experienced that even in Philippi. And these people in Philippi know what he's talking about. Because when he was there, he was put in jail, and the Philippian jailer beat him in an inch of his life. But he was converted after that, in fact, that same night. And I wonder what he thought when he read this in Philippians from the Apostle Paul. Well, Paul told the Corinthians something about his sufferings. He says in 2 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, verse 4, he says, "...but in all things..." approving ourselves as the ministers of God in much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, and so on. Job could say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And today, I think it's a cruel hoax to tell people that if they are suffering or not just having a high old time, that they certainly are not in the will of God. They may not even be saved. Well, at this moment, there are Christians that are being persecuted in Russia today, and they've proven they are real Christians. And we know that for a fact from Russians who have gotten out of that prison house. Visitors to Russia could never know this. Christians are having a rough time in many other places. Our nations is one of the last bastions of freedom, and even here there are signs of a coming storm and curtailment of Christian rights. Many Christians who are listening right now to this program are suffering, not persecution, but from some dread disease like cancer. The mental anguish is terrifying. I know what it is to lie in a hospital bed alone waiting for the interns and nurses to come in and wheel you into the operating room, and you wonder if you're going to live or die. You feel like God has forsaken you. You feel like that somehow or another this is something that shouldn't happen to you. And you seriously question that all things work together for good. Does God really care? Well, I can assure you that he does. I've had three major operations for cancer. First one is in 1965 when I was given three months to live. And he put me flat on my back and told me it was time to look up. The world could get along without me very easily. I came to the conclusion 
that the world needed me. God let me know that I wasn't that important. And it's a time when you can learn to rest and commune with God. The lessons were powerful, and I don't want to go through it again. I don't want a repeat. Others of you today are suffering from the scars of a broken home. And if you trust Him, He'll bring you through that experience. Others of you are suffering because of economic conditions. You lost your jobs. You're frightened. You know that you really have time now to get to know the Lord better. And this may be something else for somebody, a temptation. Well, the Lord Jesus said, in the world you're going to have trouble. Peter wrote, there's no testing that's ever come to you that hasn't come to man before. And we act like this is some strange things happened to us. He never said he'd make you happy. He said he'd make us holy. Remember, he that has begun a good work in you, he'll continue it until the day of Jesus Christ. You can count on him. Jesus came Today's study is always available, free to stream or download, thanks to the generous and faithful investments from your fellow Bible bus travelers. Just go to ttb.org or download our app to listen again anytime. As always, we'd love to know what's God teaching you.